0: Brian Dewhurst
1: and Philip Ramsey. All right, well, let's just jump right into it. Um, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on the Uncommon Life Project. Really appreciate your time. Uh, This is actually a really fun one for Brian because it was his due diligence that found your website, airdna.co. So just want to give some kudos to Brian. He likes that. Um, so welcome to the show. Let's jump right into it. Um, Brian, go ahead. You can go with the first question since it's is your due diligence that got him here.
2: Yeah. Thanks again, Scott. Yeah, uh, pleasure. I, to be here. Thanks, guys. I probably have a hundred questions. So we want to be mindful of your time today, but, um, I think you have a very, there's two stories we want to architect into this is kind of your background story of how you got, you know, from zero to 60, uh, with Airbnb and, and your background there. And then, actual air dna and how you're helping people go deeper and seize the opportunity in front of us so if you could just kick us off like you know high school maybe your upbringing and and where you got started um you know very high level and then we'll kind of go from there oh back to high school all right wow i was
1: was
0: kind of shocked that he went there too (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, there's some interesting stuff. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to have some entrepreneurs in my family. Uh, my father started a web company, uh, really sort of an aggregator of businesses, kind of an original search engine back in 1994. So I was lucky enough to be surrounded at the dinner table by, you know, big ideas and technology and the internet from its infancy. So I probably have a, a little bit of a leg up from others that, you know, I had that sort of background sure. and that I was able to convince my father to build my first web scrapers to get this thing off off the ground. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, going way back, you know, I've always been interested in kind of, uh, man, just, just how the internet was was disrupting anything. And when I kind of fell into Airbnb, you know, and thought about kind of how many entrepreneurs out there were starting to think about Airbnb as an income source and how I could kind of help propel them forward and give them information. You know, it seemed like a no-brainer to me at the time.
1: Yeah, was so, it, was it always Airbnb like that? Is that the thing that took off or was it something an other idea that then just Airbnb fell into it? Or was it Airbnb that gave this idea wings, I guess?
0: Airbnb changed all of the dynamics of vacation rental properties. Vacation rentals used to be very hard to manage because you were having to take individual payments from people, you were having to manage a calendar, you know, your check-in and check-out processes were really bad. You know, there was lots of things that they kind of solved for people to make this a very automated and very, un-labor-intensive sort of process. Mm -hmm. And so it it is what gave this entire industry wings was saying like, we're going to give you all of the demand you need for people. We're going to make this instant bookable. We're going to take care of all of your payments. We're going to take care of all resolution issues with like problems with check-ins and how we're going to resolve all those issues. So it made it so easy that, you know, I had seven properties at one point in time and I was spending maybe, maybe 10 hours a week Max managing the whole thing, cleaning, check-in, check-out, payments, everything, and so that's kind of what they unlocked for people was just the time savings to to manage properties,
2: hmm. the scalability. Sure. So you weren't always in Airbnb. So can you kind of walk our listeners through your path through college and then how you kind of got into this? Because I think it's a really powerful story.
0: Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so after graduating from University of Arizona. I, um, you know, I dabbled in some industries like hedge funds and other things like that. I ended up getting into a much data heavier role. You know, really being a data analyst to start off with, and evolving over nine years at a company called Corn Fairy International into really understanding data at its very fundamental core. Like that's the database architecture. That's like how to create good visuals for executives that kind of synthesize and summarize information into really nice. Comprehensible sort of dashboards. Um, so I was in the nitty gritty of data and business intelligence for about nine nine years uh, before they they let me go <laughs> in a restructuring. They offered me a, sort of a, a new gig which seemed really boring, and I said no thanks. And I said all right, well uh, see you. Um, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in my, in yeah. my life, right? Because yes. you're in that comfort of of, of of climbing that corporate ladder, yeah. looking for that next five percent pay raise, and it's yeah. comfy and it's easy. And
1: we call it the golden handcuffs, man. We are on board with that. You're right. Yeah. Probably the best thing that happened to you. And so, uh, so yeah, I took off from that from
0: that gig, and it was kind of this eye opening moment, right? Like, um. I, actually, I got a nice severance package of nine months. And so that was like, all right, well, let me go travel the world and do things I was never really able to do previously. And so when I went to go travel, my neighbor told me uh, about Airbnb as I was looking at storage units and where to put all my stuff. My neighbor was like, oh, have you heard about this thing, Airbnb? You can just like have people stay there and pay for your rent while you're gone. And I was like, oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I definitely will give that a go. And sort of the rest is history. You know, I had my first booking. I took pictures of my iPhone and spent, you know, 20 minutes maybe writing up some some marketing text. And, you know, within 24 hours, I had, you know, a couple bookings, you know, and a couple Jeez. bookings from like a, some grandparents in Wisconsin and some other folks in Florida. And I was like, wow, this is really, really easy. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, while traveling, you know, I just kept getting bookings. I was managing it from the middle of Cambodia, you know, and just like... Wow. We just saw how kind of easy it was to get people in, get them in and out of the place and get it cleaned. And it was just really simple. And, you know, I think in my second month, I did about $6,000 on a, an apartment that was costing me 3000 bucks all in with utilities. And, you know, the, the light bulb started to go off. It was like, man, this is really easy money. And so <laughs> uh-huh. I won't ever go get a real job. And, so, and let's be, a- we're in Ankeny, Iowa, and it's yeah. dreary out. Where was your... <laughs>
2: Where was your first okay. Airbnb, just so our listeners can visualize?
0: Yeah, I was I was pretty fortunate in that regard, too. I had a really nice one-bedroom right in the downtown of Santa Monica, California, right next to all the tourist uh, beach and Third Street Promenade. And So I was kind of in this really nice epicenter for travel and surrounded by hotels that were going for 400 dollars a night. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so there was a lack of hotel supply. All the hotels were four-star-plus properties, and so that was... Sort of the initial thesis of where I wanted to invest later on was like, you know, look at hotel prices. You know, where can you get a nice condo for a few thousand bucks a month, charge $300 a night, but that's still 20 to 30% cheaper than the hotels close by. And you're offering a balcony, you're offering a kitchen, a washer, a dryer, oh, yeah. all these things that yeah. the hotel can't offer. So it was, you know, a great deal and a great value for, for
1: people coming to the city when you started realizing like holy cow i might never have to go get another job again like how how long was that after you quit your or laid off or whatever you want to say decided not to go back to work how far was that in the nine months of severance
0: (laughs) if i took it longer than that to be honest i mean it's probably right around that nine month right uh, around nine months um interesting you know i think the biggest decision was, you know, that first investment in a a property, right? You already have your property. It's already furnished. It's making money. It's printing cash. I moved in with my girlfriend and said, Hey, you know, like let's travel some more. And so that was, that was easy part. (laughs) The the hard part was saying, okay, here's the first investment property. You know, I'm going to furnish it from scratch. I'm going to put $10,000 on my credit card and I'm going to really hope for the best here. Like I've done my due diligence. I know it works. I know what the model looks like. Uh, But taking that first step is always the hardest.
2: Yeah. And I think we see that a lot too. I was going to echo that in your previous uh, comment of like, yeah, I'll just give that a go. I think that's the beauty of Airbnb in getting into real estate is like, you already had a property. Yeah, I'm going to be going anyway. I'm locked into this lease. I might as well try to rent my place out while I'm gone and pay for my trip. It's a pretty easy toe in the water. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think what's so powerful about what you've created, and I want to get to that, is that you help people make that investment decision of like, I want to do a second one, I'm gonna do a third one, and it's calculated. There's data behind it, there's metrics, there's a plan. It's not just like, oh man, I hope this works. Uh you're giving people clarity into that decision. And so so then walk us through because I know you and again, I'm gonna give you a shameless plug now and well, you can, you know, plug whatever you want at the end, but you have an amazing <laughs> ebook on your website that kind of walks through your story and and how you've built uh, your your Airbnb business and then how you transitioned to into AirDNA and so walk our listeners through that if you would really quickly of how this shifted from like just renting a couple properties to like there's an opportunity here and I'm gonna I'm gonna press in.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, so I got to I think the seven property mark, and there were some rumblings about regulation in Santa Monica, and it didn't look like it was going to be going <laughs> my way, and so. First, decision, first thought was I needed to diversify where my properties are. So I'm limiting my exposure to one city and where I'm exposed. And so that led me down this uh, scraper path, right? So scraping the Airbnb website, you know, convincing my father to go do it for me. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, looking kind of where were other opportunities, where were the other markets that were successful in Santa Monica so I could start to acquire new properties there. You know, as I was doing that, I was also you know, writing that ebook, you know, to try to kind of get a name out there for myself, you know, as an expert in the space. And I was talking to lots of guys and I just I just heard that that was a huge need for them. Right. There was no competitive intelligence. There was no market insights. They weren't comfortable about their pricing strategy or their expansion strategies or anything. And so there was just a huge void in the marketplace for, for vacation rentals on. Anything that was data driven, yeah. the platforms themselves—Airbnb, HomeAway, anybody else—wasn't really providing any insights to the, to the, their host. Um, so the light bulb went off. You know, obviously having that ten years in data, you know, you know, my mind was spinning about all the different ways to analyze and create the charts and the metrics and decision help the decision processes along the way. Um, so. Yeah, I guess it was probably late 2014. You know, we decided to sort of really turn this into a business. which was about two years after I started the Airbnb uh, stuff. Um, and it was really kind of this, this, this thesis, which, you know, like, you know, we know there's a gold rush and either you're going to go out there and start mining for the gold. You're going to start, you're going to start selling the shovels to everybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Times that shovel salesman does way better. than
2: all. Yeah, they sure do. That's so true. We use that analogy a lot actually in the the Levi Strauss analogy and, uh, I, yeah, totally get it. Um, I actually spent quite a bit in data analytics too, with Deloitte and Touche more on the audit side. Um, and so I had a kind of a background in data. And um, you know, looking at company stuff and trying to detect fraud and that type of thing. And so a little bit different angle, definitely not on the programming side or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I started looking at Airbnb. And I think even when you look at the progression of like what Zillow has done for the real estate market, there's so much, I think there's so much upside and I don't wanna overpromote this because obviously real estate ebbs and flows and different markets and that types of thing. But with the data that you've been able to collect and the data out there with Zillow and some of these other sites, it's really reshifting the, re- the real estate landscape, in my opinion, in this country of how you can actually monetize, um, you know, a single family home or a vacation home. And so where do you see, like, what are you excited about now? You're what, three to four years in with air DNA mm-hmm. done the Airbnb side. Like what are you excited about when it looks like in real estate and, and where this is
0: headed? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's really exciting to me and I'm actually talking to, you know, head of corporate development at zillow here in about two hours so you know i think we're also trying to sort out kind of really what this all means to, to real mm-hmm. estate as now there is this new option which is often much more lucrative for how to monetize real estate and all types of real estate whether that's multifamily or single family or things that were previously commercially zoned, you know, and how you can kind of flip those into Airbnb properties. But really fundamentally, there's a new sort of way to monetize property. It's not just like a fix and flip or like a long-term rental. Now there's this whole new category, you know, really backed by a million vacation rentals in the U.S. alone that um, is this new way to think about investing and monetizing uh, space. And what is really the best use case for space, uh, Mm -hmm. I think is, is changing. And the gray area between a commercial property and residential property is sort of, is, is becoming a little bit more nebulous. Right. And so all of these things are creating, you know, disruption, which disruption creates a lot of opportunities for some and, you know, a lot of <laughs> risk and headaches for others. So, sure. uh, so in general, I mean, I think what we're trying to create is, is really valuation models for short-term rentals. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I could get, you know, pretty nerdy on that, but you know, what we're saying, you know, we've at the, the core, what we're trying to figure out, what's the revenue generated by every short-term rental in the world, right? So that's kind of the core problem that we were solving pretty early on. And now it is, how do you then take that information and then figure out what every property in the world is worth as a, as a short-term rental, right? Uh-huh. So using a bunch of data sources and like, oh, similar amenities, similar size, similar location, you know, what is, what is the property anywhere in the world worth as a short-term rental that's, that's fairly decently managed? And so that's kind of the big, you know, three to five year sort of uh, problem that we're trying to solve.
1: What would you give like a elevator speech? Because some of our listeners probably don't know what AirDNA is at all. So could you give us just a quick synopsis of what you would say AirDNA is and what you were trying to achieve and what it is now?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I think, you know, AirDNA is the largest aggregator of short-term rental data. what we're trying to achieve is is, is really trying to empower entrepreneurship in the short-term rental lodging space around the world. What we're actually trying to do is do what I did, is is be a guy with 510 properties that's competing with the Hilton, Starwood, Marriotts of the world. And we do feel like there's going to be a democratization of lodging as people want more unique, personalized experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. Consumers
0: have already spoken. They they want really a unique experience that the Mm -hmm. hotels can't offer. And so we're trying to kind of empower that shift of lodging to to the small guy.
1: So what's that look like is you go on his website, airDNA.co, type in an address, and you can see how many in a location-wise, how many Air AirDNA, Air, AirBnBs are in that location and what average price they're getting per night and how many nights per year they're being rented. So you can get a pretty quick, I'd say a snapshot of, well, is this, because a lot of, uh, I would say, arguments that we would get, our debates are like, well, my location isn't very good. Well, this air DNA can blow that out of the water. Well, yes, it is because there's three of them right around that same area, and this right. is kind of the analytics for it. So you've done a great job. Cool. Now, this is what that. I think is, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, scary. I mean, it's definitely an eye opener to most people because people think like, oh, I don't have like a courtyard in, They're like anywhere within five miles of me. Like nobody's coming to stay in my area, nice. and like we've definitely tried to debunk that sort of, uh, that thought process, you know, Airbnb is really spread, flodging every single tiny little town. Everybody's got a mom they got to visit and everybody, oh, yeah. most people don't want to stay with their in-laws. <laughs> and totally. so, you know, totally. so there's just like a lot of these little things like, you know, where hospitals are, where colleges are, you know, where your family lives, you know, like there's just people staying in every single and cranny across the
1: yeah. And it's funny because back to that story that Brian said at the beginning of this podcast is that his mom was even looking at Airbnbs for his family. Like it's not just a younger generational thing. It's like, no, like our parents are looking at this and almost every demographic that you can think of wants to, they would rather stay in a house than a hotel. So there's a lot of legs to this.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And I mean, the growth is, it's fueled by the consumer, which is the which is the cool part, right? It's you know if the consumers didn't want this, this thing wouldn't be growing so quickly. I mean, people right. are looking for a great value, they're looking for something unique, they're looking for a bigger place, they're looking to travel with their family and with groups, and you know, like these are things that hotels. You know, historically, have done a really miserable job of is, mm-hmm. is catering to like you know longer trips or family trips, and something that Airbnb has been able to fill the gap on really, really well. Yeah, can you give our listeners? I mean, you just have so much
2: experience, Scott. Give our listeners like we have, we meet a lot of people. You meet a lot of people, and they're like, "Man, I I kind of want to do this, you know," but they they don't maybe have the whatever the history or the risk profile to like take that first leap. Can you walk our listeners through like the first three steps you would recommend of like getting started in Airbnb and then maybe how your site can help demystify some of this or take some of the, you know, weight of it out?
0: Sure. I mean, I I think the first like easiest step to take is, you know, throw up a a room in the house or rent it when you're on vacation or rent out that like in-law suite or whatever it looks like, right? So you can just kind of get your head around like how hard is it to market, what do these people look like when they're at my door? You know, how am I going to like get my money? Like all these kind of like basic, really, I think just simple things that people just like always get a bit of heartburn about. Um, and so that kind of just like shows you like, Oh, these guys are cool people. This is easy. Um, you know, and like, it's not, it's not that hard. And so once people sort of get that initial taste, then they start thinking about, all right, investment properties. And, you know, maybe I'll move in with my, Fiance now and start yeah. this as a full time rental, we see a lot of people sort of in life transitions where they're like gonna upgrade homes or move in with a you know a loved one or whatever you know that's a, it's a great time to sort of uh, dip your toe in the water and, and give it a go before you you know you throw the place on the on the market or mm-hmm. or what it may be um so that's definitely one you know i think you know I don't think it's really <laughs> there's not that much to it right it Right. Is, it's one of the things that takes very little investment, especially if it's a current property. Um, I would definitely suggest people do that. You know, you're not going to make much money, if really much money at all, with a private room in your home. But sure. they get you through the process and make sure you understand kind of how it all goes, and that there is demand before you know you plunk down you know some money and make an investment property. Um, I don't even think there's three steps to it. I wish I wish I could go <laughs> and two up to
1: two and three, but I don't know there is. That. Well, I'd say this for my personal experience and just that we have a house that we just moved into probably three or four months ago. It's pretty big, five bedrooms, five bathrooms. Um, and my wife and I are like fixing this up and renovating it. And at the end of it, she was like, hey, we're going to be gone for Thanksgiving. What if we air Airbnb our house just to see if it's sold? Like, what do we have to lose? Like, we're going to be gone anyway. Like, And I was like, Oh, I love you so much. You know, like this is so amazing because now we can dip our toe into and if it's, if it rents, it rents. If it doesn't like not, I'm not out anything. So it's usually the biggest
0: fear is like really just like this stranger danger. And like, what am I going to do with all my expensive belongings? And, you know, it's hard to get people across that. It's just, you know, it's in their nature that like anybody walking my door, I don't know, and that yeah. is scary to me.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you
0: know, I had 2,000 people come to my place in Santa Monica. You know, I met hundreds of them. And these guys are, they're, I mean, all interesting people, right? Like, right. these aren't like, we you know, the weird crackhead down the street. <laughs> they're, they're, like really interesting people. And I've, I never really had a, a serious issue in 2000s you know, today. So that's usually one of the hurdles you got to get people across is that people are good. Strangers are not danger. You know, these yeah. are just fellow world travelers or people that are coming back to their hometowns. So that are people you're going to want to meet. And sometimes they're going to be friends for years to come. You know, I had like the uh, quarterback of the Broncos stay with me. I had a president of the Starbucks stay with me. I had some like really cool, influential people that, you know, I still keep in touch with today.
1: Yeah,
2: that's so cool. We just had a guy on the podcast, he just was, uh, Airbnb in half of a duplex. And then he and his wife were living in the other half. And, um, and then they would go stay in a hotel. If somebody wanted the whole thing, they, they were kind of putting both on, you know, they don't have kids and they're like, this is the time to try to make it work. And they actually had a couple get married in half their duplex <laughs> and, uh, and then ended up running out the whole thing. So their family and them could stay. And so he's just like, you know, people just don't appreciate people are, you know, people want unique experience, like you said, and it's just like, it's right in your backyard. It's not, you know, they don't need a Hilton or a Marriott. Like they're looking for, you know, real houses, real people and real experiences. And so now he's like, they just got their second property. And, uh, I mean, he's going to gross like a hundred thousand on two properties in Des Moines, Iowa. And people are just blown away by that. And these aren't tricked out, you know, mansions or anything. I mean, these are, these are average, I would say properties. And so, what what advice do you give, or what what is there in terms of like automation or scalability, maybe even outside of Airbnb and AirDNA? Because I know there's a lot of there's just going to be a lot of businesses starting up to help cleaning, booking. Can you kind of talk about that of of managing five to ten properties?
0: Sure. Yeah, I think it's right around ten properties where you got to figure out some automations and ways to sort of scale things, like just like guest communications and how to automate responses to the question you've heard a hundred thousand times. Um, And the cleanings, and make sure all the maintenance stuff is being managed. And make sure like late checkout requests, or you know, there's some things when you get to scale, and you, well, one, you just it drives you crazy every time somebody asks you a question, and so you're like, I gotta automate this, and then that's kind of what happened to me. So there's a couple of tools out there. I think, like I said, you know, around five, you're gonna think about new marketing channels is definitely the, the one thing you start off with right like yeah airbnb may do really well and it might generate 80 percent of the demand for your property but you know there is HomeAway and vrbo and booking.com and so you know one how do you take that property and push it across all 40 platforms that have any sort of people looking to book those properties so those are called like you know you channel managers like a rentals united a booking pal uh there's there's a good handful of those guys Um, or there's property management systems. Um, like, um, there's a lot of those as well. You know, Guesty is one of the more well-known one. Um, and so this just helps you sort of automate all your processes, see everything in one place, have a calendar where you see where everybody's coming and going, uh, and be able to manage everything in one place. I would say, yeah, around 10 properties that starts to make sense to invest in. You know, I think the one thing that most people just don't get right is just the turnover. Like this is the cleaning in between gas, making sure everything's there, all your toiletries been purchased, and like just that basic piece. I mean, if you really master that and automate your check-in and check-out processes, you mean your life is going to be very much easier, right? So this is lockboxes, digital keys, you know, paying your cleaner a lot of money. Like I would pay yes. that person, like market rate was fifty bucks, I'd pay him a hundred bucks. And I'd say, yeah, I'll go also and buy my my toilet paper and, and paper towels, and I'd give her some a tip on all that stuff. And so, I, you know, just finding that right support to kind of help you with the turnovers is really key to get to that sort of five to ten stage. And then at that point, yeah, you're talking about revenue management strategies, you're talking about channel management strategies, and then just you know more sophistication in your operations. Um, but you know, again, it's it's not it's not it's not brain surgery here. There's lots of different tools out there to help you out. You know, ours included.
1: Let's talk sure. about some of the obstacles that you ran into at Santa Monica and like some of these counties are starting to put some restrictions on or trying to limit the Airbnbs in the county or, or city. What uh, what have you heard of that? I'm sure you have. And two, what are? can you speak into that a little bit? Sure. You know, it's a hot
0: topic right now. I was in Chicago last week with the head of public policy on Airbnb and the head of public policy from HomeAway. You know, and, you know, the hotels have a very concerted effort against short-term rentals. You know, it is, you know, where they're investing all their money is how do they squash short-term rentals. Because yep. it's impacting their business. It's impacting their profitability. And if, you know, left unchecked five, ten years from now, like, it's a pretty doomsday story for the hotels. Um, so, that being said, we, we know why people are regulating it, right? Hotels yep. don't like it. They're a very protective business. And so, one of the things I work with on a daily basis is to help deconstruct their arguments about like affordable housing or or fears of this and that um, and really empower the vacation rental managers host and all these ota platforms really kind of articulate a good story about why this is good for residents why it's good good for property owners and property rights mm-hmm. why it's good for local economies especially in secondary and tertiary cities that are looking for uh, more you know more visitors more spend in like local coffee shops and local restaurants and so, I mean, I think when you do lay out the pros and cons of, of short-term rentals, I mean, there's a very clear winner in terms of overall benefit to residents, tourists, travelers, property owners. And so, you know, it, it, the hotel lobby has been around for 25 years and very well funded. So they got out the gate pretty strong. Um, but I think what we see is the pendulum starting to swing the opposite direction where, um, you know, property owners, small businesses are starting to speak up and like the politician are saying like, yeah, that was pretty short-sighted and pretty stupid and then like mm-hmm. let's pull back from these restrictions. So. It's going to be a long battle, no doubt about it. Ten years from now, we'll still be talking about the same thing, I think. But I don't think it's going to go overly to, like, banning short-term rentals in cities. Sure. There's always going to be sort of a caveat or a cap on days or whatever it's going to look like. You know, it's going to take a while to shuffle. Good. Okay, cool. Anyway, I mean, there's there's a lot you can talk about regulation. It could be an hour by itself. So yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, there's some good sources for it. I think there's something called uh, strpolicy.org. Um, you know, Airbnb themselves has a lot of a lot of documentation on local um, sure. policy. Um, so definitely before making investments, definitely look at that. See what's on the agenda for your city council. If you've heard any wind of it. Um, you know, the, the best and brightest investors in this space are really thinking about it almost as a, policy first strategy. Like where do I think policy is going to open up or what do I think a state's passing that, that, that doesn't allow a ban on short-term rentals and really thinking about where they're confident about the regulation landscape moving forward.
2: Mm-hmm. So you
0: travel a lot, you've lived
2: in different places, you're looking at all this data. What's, um, you know, if you're, if you're this, the home guy, you know, who's got one or two properties or you're in your fifties and sixties and you're like, man, I, I kind of want to do this. Like, are there any areas in the country that you think are like, wow, this looks really undervalued here? And and your site does an amazing job of showing, you know, kind of the hot spots. You know, Memphis, you know, Tennessee, Florida. Florida. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just curious, you know, kind of from an entrepreneurial sense, if there's a, a few zones in the United States that you look look attractive to you. Yeah,
0: sure. I mean, the way I think about it is a little bit more generally is, um, I think the urban markets are a bit sort of oversaturated at this point in time so you can't just get into like a dc or la or new york or chicago regulation and just because it's been a known thing for three four ten years yeah so really what i like is like sort of these drives people where people drive to for a long weekend are typically like really great opportunities. so like a, maybe in san francisco like a, a monterey a sonoma a napa those are all markets that crush it or in los angeles a Palm Springs, like an Arrowhead Lake, like places where, or like, even like in Paso Robles, like a little wine country close by place properties, very undervalued because there's never been investment properties. There's not really a huge mm-hmm. market there. And so those sorts of markets, is definitely one way to think about that good markets. There's a lot of stuff though in the Midwest that just has kind of not been tapped into like the Clevelands and the Cincinnati's and Pittsburgh. None of the major like investors have moved into these spaces because they're not like on paper, the most, like they're not the most sexy, right? Right. Yeah. Something in Times Square is going to do $22,000 a month and something in Pittsburgh is going to do four, <laughs> you know, so it's a bit more like, you know, legwork. It's a li- little bit more, you know, you got to have 20 properties to make a, make a nice, you know, earning. Um, but it is a bit untapped so at this point. So uh, there's a great blog post. Uh, it's called Best Places to Invest in uh, Vacation Rentals, I think. It's, it's just recently posted. So it goes through hundreds of markets, kind of shows where we think are the best places to either buy, rent, or even rent a room in your in your property. So I definitely got to kind of employ people there.
1: Very cool. Like Des like Moines, Iowa. Iowa. I don't know. Yeah, like tomorrow, you know like, put it out yeah. there. Put it out um, there. I didn't even say that When Awesome, awesome Midwest cities. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Come on, Scott. <laughs> uh, I want to go in.
0: You know, it's kind of like you know, it's, a, it's my knowledge on that on those areas isn't the, isn't the greatest, right? Do you
1: but even know what, where Iowa is? Come on, Scott. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Okay, yeah. so I want to ask you something about your father. So would you say he was your mentor in getting this, or like where who's your mentor now? Do you have one?
0: Yeah, I really wish I had a better answer to that. I've definitely been looking at this. I don't even have like an abortive advisors. I don't really have anybody who I'm going to for help for at for this point in time. So I'd say I'm kind of actively looking for somebody in this sort of real estate market or hospitality lodging, you know, that I can sort of lean on for strategic advice and also personal advice on how to scale a company. Mm-hmm. As, you know, We're like 35 people now and probably, you know, 70 in, in 12 months, you know, really kind of all this organizational growth and health stuff. But mm-hmm. I'd say... I don't now, but I'm actively searching, so. Man, that is the
1: hardest thing. I mean, Brian and I are the same way. Like, we need to scale this practice, but how do you do it in a wise way where everyone feels still connected? I mean, it it is a million dollar question, so. The entrepreneur's challenge. Yes.
2: You know, to scale and to build a business, and so. um, I I am just fascinated with this market. Um, I'm fascinated with your site. any new tools or anything you're working on for the next 12 months with AirDNA that would uh, we should be looking for?
0: Yeah, I'm actually glad you glad you asked. So I think you know the latest thing we launched was which is pretty cool and really simplifies and dumbs all this stuff down. You know, is what we call the Rentalizer. It is you just put in an address and it just spits back like what your comps look like, how much they earned over the last 12 months, what we project your property to earn over the next 12 months. So that's kind of our latest tool that we are kind of working on new iterations for making sure the accuracy that is great as possible. I think there's two other main projects we're working on. One is, you know, how to have a customized experience for everybody. So once you've got one property, just load up your URL. We're gonna tell you everything you wanna know in like the easiest way possible and tell you what you're doing right, tell you what you're doing wrong, give you notes about upcoming events, tell you like, you know, just about what your comp's doing, how you're performing against them, help you curate some new stuff. So really the goal, you know, of our tools is to make it as, as as custom as possible. So no one person is how, you know, two people having the exact same experience in the tool. Mm-hmm. And then three, I think the, the next big challenge is really doing uh, pricing, revenue management, as they say, is dynamic pricing. You know, basically, what is your property worth every single day of the year? And how is that changing day to day based off of new information about supply and demand in the market? You know, it's, it's really hard. You know, hotels don't even do it very well. Every vacation rental is unique. And so we've been looking at solving this problem for a couple years now. And so we'll get there in the next 12 months, uh, but it is uh, not an easy task.
2: Yeah. It's like there's a lot of data out there, but it's got to be crazy to try to get it all, if that makes sense. Like, I, you know, just all the county assessors pages and all the transactions that are happening and, you know, all the people that are paying through Airbnb and all the transactions Zillow's trying to pick up. Uh, I, I think in the next five to 10 years, especially with, you know, AI and automation and, and just the expansion of all this, the access to information and synthesizing that is going to be extremely valuable.
0: And that's what we're trying to lead. I mean, at the core of what we're doing, I mean, we are really a data aggregator. So we are trying to figure out how to get as many data sources piped into us as possible. Whether that's scraping data or partnerships with other software providers or whether individuals are giving us data themselves, you know, we're going to get it all from all those sources. And so that's the biggest thing. You know, you can't really build out any good AI unless you have a really solid flow of data that's updated every single day and accurate and so like you know that that's the first problem that's the first step so you know we're still in the first inning as you know as, as we say around here And that is just getting good data and then the power of that stuff will be unveiled over the you know the coming years where where is your company headquarters scott so we're headquartered here in Denver uh, Colorado and we also have uh, an office in Barcelona Spain that sounds terrible yeah so <laughs> it's not it's not a bad place to go visit a company. <laughs> I uh, can get away from the family and kids and tell them it's a business trip.
2: Right? So, so one of our other residual streams, you know, we focus on the seven sources, real estate, obviously, what we're talking about today and and with you, but but your business is set up as a subscription model, and it's set up. It seems like by like by zip code or by kind of territory that you want access to. Sure. Can you kind of walk our listeners through just the basics of your site, how it's priced, and and how Rentalizer kind of seems like that first step of like, what's my spare bedroom worth or what's that suite worth, you know, in terms of getting started with Airbnb. Can you kind of walk our listeners through that in your platform?
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. So our, our flagship product is called market minder, uh, rentalizer sort of rolled into as a feature of market minder, uh, market minder is the, the market intelligence tool. You know, what is the occupancy rate monthly for every property type and size? And what's the average daily rate? Like, seasonality like basically any geeky stat you want to know about your specific city or a neighborhood zip code within your city is available there and that price is uh, anywhere from 20 bucks a month to 100 bucks a month depending on the size of the marketplace Um, and so what there is a need for in this real estate investor community is is more of this sort of Top-down approach, which means like, hey, I'm looking at all of Iowa. Just tell me where the best place to invest in Iowa is, right? And so sure. we have another product. That we're rolling into Market Minder eventually, but it's called Investment Explorer. So you can subscribe to any state. It's a couple hundred bucks a month, but it really does this sort of, I want to invest in California. Where's the most profitable zip code? Right. And so we're mm-hmm. solving that that problem with Investment Explorer. And Market Minder is more of that. I'm about to buy a property. Let me do all my due diligence on like all the competition, what I'm expecting, what does my pro forma look like? And that's sort of like for the deeper analysis of the market and also the operational stuff, right? How is my, how are the comps doing? How am I performing versus them? How should I be pricing for the upcoming event? So that's all a market minder. Um, so there's, yeah, it's a lot there, but I hope that clears it up a little bit.
2: Definitely. That's very helpful. What in terms of, uh, like property types. I know I, you know, you hear all the time, like, Oh, these people have a tree house and it's rented out. It's booked out four years in advance. You know, are you seeing that as you travel around I and mean, you're exposed to a lot, like what, you know, if somebody's going to get into this, is it more unique? Is it keep it simple? Like kind of any ideas there?
0: I think it depends on the market. I, I am a big believer that, you know, you have to have something that stands out a little bit. It has to have, you know, maybe a sort of a theme or you have to have a certain sort of con- customer in mind. You know, if there are five thousand other one and two bedrooms around you, you know you got to figure out a way to, to to stand out, right? And that can be as simple as like really marketing to people with traveling with kids, or tr- marketing to people that are musicians, and you have a piano and a you know and a, and a guitar in the place, right? Like sure. there are like little things like that you can do to sort of focus on a core customer that you want to stand out with. But you know, in some smaller markets, it's really just about like. Getting it, getting it up, getting five stars, having it look clean and just like having it look, you know, well-designed. I mean, people really do. I'm always surprised people buy, you know, a half million dollar piece of real estate and then they throw $7,000 of furniture in the place. And you're just like, man, like, you know, the design, the, 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 the features, the, the you know, all that stuff really, does pay dividends, right? So don't don't skimp on some artwork or some other things because that's where I see a lot of people sort of falling short.
2: So can I dig a little deeper on that? Sure. So you're saying like, you instead of getting a half a million dollar property, get the $400,000 property and put
0: a hundred grand into it, more so or? Sure, yeah, I mean, I think 50? that's, that's a general way to think about it, yeah, don't, yeah. I think, um, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, 95% of the pictures are of the inside of the house, not the outside of the house none of them are of the neighborhood. Right. So like, you know, focus more on like what are people actually looking at, which is like the bedspread and uh, what kind of stuff you've got in the house. Right. And just like fine little design features. So I always find people like just like skimp on that and always, it always ends up biting them at the end of the day.
1: I want to go to like, let's talk about your challenges and your obstacles from getting to where you're at now. Um, what has been like the, the moment where you're like, kind of itching your head, like, Oh no, like, did I really do this? Like, (laughs) Has there ever been that moment? Maybe there hasn't. I hope there hasn't, but it seems like there always has in entrepreneurs. Um, Mm -hmm. What is that moment for you and how did you push through?
0: Oh, we all have those moments. I think I've been pretty fortunate not to have any of those like game ending experiences quite yet. You know, I had my original CTO leave me about nine months ago. We just didn't have the same sort of uh, vision on where this company was going. You know, we didn't have real alignment, and we were just having problem. He wasn't going to move to Denver, and he was still in LA working in his basement, right? And so, you know, I think there's some of those things that you go through um, where you're like, man, this could be a real problem. He knows everything about the architecture, the scraping, the website, like all the security sure. risk, all the passwords. And you're like, all right, well, this is this. You know, here we go. Um, But, you know, we've come out the other side, we've hired 10 people to sort of fill his role and do much more. And we, you know, just finally, you know, processed a a buyout of all of his equity. And, you know, I think we're bigger and better and stronger now that you had to kind of go through that and figure out how do we reduce this risk in the future? How do we really hire a a real diversified team that's committed to to hiring? Um, And so I think that's really the the only one I've had so far. And I am fortunate and I'm crossing my fingers as we speak.
1: Yeah. No, you know, I think it's funny because you said exactly what I was kind of shooting for is you're better on the other side. And I can't tell you, we've done this a lot, but we've heard some obstacles and they all would say, no, I'm better because of it. You know, like it sucked while we were going through it, but now that we're on the other side, man, it's something that we've learned from and we're better because of it. So that's cool. So let's quick talk about your personal life. So how do you, are you married kids? Yep. Married, uh,
0: married for four years with a four year old and a two year old. Um, So, yeah, man, I started all this business out of necessity, to be honest with you. Like I went to do that traveling. I met my wife in the middle of that trip. And she was uh, pregnant, you know, nine months later, and married a few months after that. And so, you know, (laughs) there's nothing more motivating than a a pregnant wife and
1: (laughs) a job yeah so, uh, how do you balance all this with your family life and how do you do that
0: it's good i mean i gotta say the first two years are always going to be a bit a bit hard you know there was a uh, i worked out of my garage um for almost two years uh, you know doing the 16 hour sort of days um and so it's it's not easy i'd say that much but you know you do get to the, that point where um you can start to hand off things and my, my life's much more kind of standard sort of like eight to six sort of work day which is totally acceptable to me. Um, how do you balance it all? Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I lost all my hobbies. I lost most of my (laughs) friends and I worked and hung up my family. That's how I balanced it. So I got rid of anything that wasn't extra.
1: (laughs) Prioritize. (laughs) Good. Good. Thanks.
2: Well, Scott, I am so grateful for the time today and you just getting on here with our listeners and, um, like I said, I think you are ahead of your time and I think if people are very serious about Airbnb, uh, which to us is maybe the easiest way to get started in, in dabbling in real estate, uh, I think your tool and the company and the uh, mission that you're on uh, is a great asset and tool for people to uh, to leverage in order to make that uh, you know more predictable path. And so is there anything else you'd like to share today uh, or highlight about um, AirDNA or your story?
0: No, I mean just stay. You know, we're working on tons of things all the time. You know, we're putting out a lot of great content soon, a lot about investing, uh, as well. So you know, just stay and stay in touch at uh, you know AirDNA.co. Uh, check out our blog, uh, subscribe to our newsletter, and uh, I think we'll be surprising you with even more cooler uh, stuff in the next year.
1: And I love it. We're a huge awesome. fans, Scott. Keep doing what you're doing, and know that we're right here if you need anything from us. Appreciate it, Thanks, here. Scott.
0: That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.